0: morning, everyone. We're having to wear multiple hats this morning, so i will just have to bear with me here. Okay. Uh, we're on Lesson 21 this morning. We're, we've been, as we've said, you know, for a couple of months kind of skipping around because of scheduling and people being out of town and so forth. Um and i don't remember the um, uh, exact page number I, I walked off and left my book uh, on my desk this morning one eighteen page one eighteen uh and it deals with uh second kings chapter five and verse thirteen, and the question is this: we'll just read that verse: if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it and so this is uh uh, a question uh, that was asked to Naaman in the Old Testament. And so I thought it would be appropriate, maybe let's read uh, that passage because there's a story around this. And so let's just read that together. Second Kings chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 19. 1 through 19. And this is the New King James Version I'm reading from. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of the leprosy, or of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, "Thus, And thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took, took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his, his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naban became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in rage and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you, have not, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean. So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he, he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Ramon, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said to him, Go in peace and so he departed him a short distance. So again chapter uh, verse 13 is the question that is the topic of our of our lesson this morning and of course it, it concerns Naaman and Naaman was a leper. And of course we've all heard and studied and are aware of the disease of leprosy. Uh, it's it's a terrible disease. It it basically deteriorates the body. It it is said to like uh, even like eat holes through your eyelids and your lips and it and it bleaches your hair snow white and it it just covers your body with uh, like a an ash colored type scales uh, for lack of lack of a better word uh, it it deteriorates your nails uh, your fingers swell up and 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 develop knots um, and and has soreness to it and secretions that come out of it and just just slowly and steadily just deteriorates the body uh and and brings death and of course we know from from that time that when a person with leprosy would go someplace that that they should should shout out unclean unclean so people would know Uh, so we look at the context of this lesson Naaman was this really great, honorable man. That's, that's, that's very very obvious. He was successful in 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 what he did, and he was recognized that by that or for that. Yet he he was a leper. So if we kind of fast forward to today, we have the moral man, but the moral man is a sinner. We can be moral, but we're still sinners. And, and just being moral alone uh, uh, will not save us. Uh, the gospel saves us. So um, that's some of the beginning of the, the chapter out of our book. Uh, I want to kind of shift gears just a little bit um, and talk about it, a, a few things. You know, when we talk about being virtuous, you know, we could, we could name off a number of virtues that uh, uh, we all would like to have, or maybe do have. Uh, diligence is a virtue, uh, generosity, uh, compassion. I think all of us uh, would like to have compassion. Uh, I think organizations a, a virtue. My wife would argue that, maybe, but she gets a little tired of my organization, but I like it. Um, contentment. Self-control, those, those are virtues that come to mind. Well, what's the virtue that Naaman has? Anybody want to take a venture at that? What virtue do you see in the story of Naaman? Anybody got a guess? No takers. What I think... I'm sorry, he was able to at least see that he was wrong. You're close. Yeah, yeah that's exactly... Let me, let me reword it. Open-mindedness. He was open-minded. And he was able, uh, like, like we said, to come to this point where he realized, you know, he, he, he used his logic and he realized that. So he's the commander of the Armenian Syrian Army and, and apparently he's a, he's a mighty man, a, a warrior, a leader. Uh, and, and we see from the scripture that we read this morning that he had given a vic- the Lord had given a victory to Syria, and it's apparent that probably it was over Israel. Uh, he was this great man of honor, and he was honored by the king of Syria. It's obvious that he was very well thought of by the king of Syria, but again, as we say, he was a leper. And we, we were talking about leprosy there just a moment ago, and yes, it's a terrible disease, and, and, and it was the people that had it were isolated. Uh, from every everyone else, uh, it's a horrible disease, a despised disease. But apparently in Syria, maybe it was a little different than it was in Israel. Uh, the Syrians obviously didn't consider the lepers as being outcasts. I mean, here's Naaman; he's got leprosy, and he's he's, he's this great military leader that's honored by the king. And so. Uh, apparently they didn't have the same mindset, you know, about the disease. And so this little Israeli girl that was captured through that um, battle perhaps that took place that was referenced earlier, um, had compassion on him. She saw him, she saw he had the disease, and she had, had compassion on him. And, and so through her efforts, through, through these initial efforts, then Naaman eventually goes, as we've read, to Israel, and he's eventually healed by Elijah. And, of course, the storyline is, is that Naaman balked at the idea of what, what Elijah instructed him to do, to go to this dirty, nasty, muddy river. I don't know if y'all have ever been through Rome, Georgia. Anybody driven through there? There's a couple of rivers that come through there. One of them's called the Ustanala. And the other one's called the um, Coosa River. I had to think a minute. Nastiest water you've ever seen in your life. You know, and I, I remember um, on the radio, they would call it the beautiful Oostano River, and it was ugly. I wouldn't get in that if, you know, and that I always think about that when I think about the River Jordan. It was probably one of those rivers that just never cleared up. That you know you didn't want you didn't want to get in. And so, um, but he Naaman finally did give into the into the prophet's uh, instructions, and and he is cleansed, of course, and he acknowledges God as the only true God. You know. Uh, in all the earth, and of course, back around circle here to what I just said a minute ago, he used to be commended. Why? Because he was open-minded, and that allowed him to reason in, in his own mind and acknowledge God and understand what he had to do. And that's why I, I, I call it uh, a virtue. The little Israeli servant girl uh, was not free to roam about in her homeland. And she wasn't free to go to the temple to worship. But she was free to express her faith in God. And that's another lesson that's uh, kind of in between the lines for us to, to take away from that. She was free to exercise her compassion toward, toward Naaman. And, and she, what did she do? She had an opportunity. She took that opportunity. She took the opportunity to glorify God. And that's one of the greatest lessons, I think, from this story is that I don't know your plight, I don't know your place, but you can glorify God in your life. I have no doubt. Every single one of you. And, and so this, the lesson to be learned from the story is, is we don't need to regard ourselves as insignificant to the church, to the work of the church. That one little thing, you know, might save a soul. You know that one little thought or gesture or you know little s- simple conversation might have the influence that that would lead someone you know to God, and so the little little Israeli girl introduces Naaman to the you know Prophet Elijah, and what did it do? It contributed to to his well-being, to his health, and then to him believing you know. God is the true, only living God. We have compassion, of course, you know, when we, you know, I I was emphasizing um, uh, the uh, um, the way the disease, you know, affected a body and so we we all have, you know, we kind of cringe when we think about it, we picture it in, you know, in our minds. Naaman had this high position. It's not exactly known. He, he was some sort of commander. Uh, there, the word that is translated is, I believe, pronounced sar, S-A-R. Uh, and that translates to the word commander, but it also translates as the word captain. Uh, but when you think of a commander, you think of a higher, higher position than... than um, uh, a A captain he was probably more like a general you know in our army um, and again, we mentioned uh, uh we think maybe the the victory was was over Israel that is referenced there he was a the scripture says he was a great and honorable man, which means that he conducted himself with responsibility. And probably with dignity and i'm I would say with honesty uh, and and as it references uh um, him as a mighty man of valor, I was thinking when Chris was teaching last week as he was he was talking about Gideon uh, I picture Gideon, you know he's a small framed little person, you know, least of his household and the angel says, You mighty man of valor. And, you know, he kind of looks around and says, Me? You're calling me a mighty man of valor, you know? Well, this, you know, kind of comes to mind here. Uh, he was a mighty man of valor. It means he was very courageous, he was probably very strong, and he was a great leader, you know, and whoever the foe was, you know, that they, that they were fighting. Um there are two Greek words that are used to describe leprosy in a in a somewhat general sense leuke uh, which is spelled L E U K E refers to what's called white leprosy uh, uh, that's that's what we described it's the sick, sickening death deathly looking color um more akin to what we see pictures of, if you go, if you if you've done that, if you've been out on the internet and looked at that, um, Lepra, on the other hand, may refer to to something, if I could say this, somewhat milder uh, than than the lay-okay. Um It it would be a lot of things would be categorized in it: psoriasis, lupus. Um, Ringworms, things along that line—that things that would not require confinement, where the other one would be, you know, more along that line. Naaman had the first one. He 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 had the bad one. Very humiliating, very painful. Uh, as I said, also, all, all, you know, often a, a fatal disease. There's a gap in the story between verses 3 and 4, but it's not hard to fill that gap in. Uh, obviously, the little servant girl told Naaman's wife that Elisha could heal him, uh, could heal Naaman, and and she had obviously informed her husband about that, and I'm sure Naaman would be, you know, just in his position, he'd be just anything, any any. any the, the least bit of hope that he could have to heal that disease and get rid of it. You know, he would he, he would latch on on to that. Um, so again that that obviously took place that uh, uh, Naaman's wife talked to Naaman. Naaman in turn talked to the king of Syria. And again, Naaman, being a very honorable man in the sight of the commander and trustworthy to the commander, uh, in the eyes of the the king, he 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 readily granted um, the request. So, in in verses five through seven, as we read, it talks about the compassion of of the king of Syria. He sends a letter uh, to the king of Israel. and it's not to be interpreted to mean that the king of syria did not trust the prophet there in in israel it only means that he was following probably the correct or proper protocol to contact the proper through the prophet through the proper international channels you know uh, so so as he's so that he ensures that naaman's mission there to get the healing would would not um, um, be misinterpreted. The, the gifts that were, were brought uh, were meant to be presented to the king of Israel for his, his granting Naaman permission to go and to talk uh, to Elijah or, or even if the king didn't take it then to pay uh, uh, Naaman for, for healing him. Um, it was a gift. Uh, but it needs to be kind of carefully understood whether whether it 's interpreted as a command from the King of Syria to the King of Israel or just simply a request or um, a, a merely just a statement of purpose of why why Naaman is there. That depends on what what kind of relationship did the King of Syria and the King of Israel have. Um, the statement could be interpreted as a command, but if we look at it it has a polite form to it uh, It seems to be worded to suggest that it was an urgent request and really really you know nothing nothing more than that. I think when he when he said that you may heal him in the letter in verse six, probably that was meant to imply that the king of Israel expected the king. I'm sorry, the king of Syria expected the king of Israel to, to, uh, to do the actual healing. Uh, he didn't expect that. He 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 knew that it was the prophet in Israel that who, who had been designated, you know, that would do the healing of the leprosy. But but he also understood, the king of Syria understood that the king of Israel had to grant permission for that. And so they follow this proper protocol. It's meant as a gesture of, of, if you will, peace and confidence as well as just a a measure of the customary things that that they did for those times. And then we we read in verse 7 that the king of uh, Israel misinterprets that. Uh, You know, if you look at 2 John verse 12, 3 John verses... Thirteen and fourteen, John ag- acknowledges as an example that uh, a written message is more subjective to misunderstanding than a face-to-face confrontation. You know, and I was I was thinking about that. You know, kind of applying it to us uh, uh, in this day of email. Uh, our our communication channels have changed so much. I'm thinking in terms of my work, and so you can kind of take your time and type out an email and reread it and reword it and reread it and reword it, get it just like you want it, and send it on off. Versus a face to face where you're talking and it's gone. <laughs> you can't come back and edit that and and uh, and change that. Well. How a person deals with a written request depends largely on the reader and upon whatever circumstances they happen to be in at that time. You know, sidebar to that, uh, sometimes we get frustrated at our jobs, for instance, and you want to fire off this email. And as a young person, I used to do that, but I figured out you know, it's a good idea, don't send it today, send it tomorrow. <laughs> and so you come back in the next day and you reread it and you think, man, why was I, you know, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know? And you, you calm it down, you, you mellow it down, don't you? Anybody else do that? I do that, I'll tell the truth. Uh, so anyway, a face-to-face is, is you know, uh, different. Jehoram, the king of Israel, he, he misinterpreted the request. He thought the king of Syria was seeking some kind of quarrel with him. Uh, and he, he seems to me to think that, he, that the request couldn't be fulfilled. He seemed, there's doubt there. And he was correct in saying that he could not take the place of God, but he seemed to ignore completely the fact that it was Elijah. Elijah. That had the healing powers, and he ought to have known that. Um, he thought perhaps this was an excuse that the, the King of Syria might use. This as an excuse to come to war against Israel. And so, you know, um, it's kind of kind of a head scratcher that he didn't know the fame of the prophet Elijah. You, you, you got to believe that he did and wonder, you know, why, why was there doubt? You know, it's The book of Ur, he was told to and he gave it Yeah. And we got the same stuff going on now with our nation. People turn back to what they think they thought. hmm I believe that, Nathan. So, we don't know how Jehor- Jehoram heard about Or how, I'm sorry, we don't know how Elijah heard about Jehoram's uh, reaction, but he did. He got word of that. Uh, And he seemed surprised, as he should, that the king would show that little bit of faith, that such little faith in the power of God to heal even this foreigner, you know, that's come out from this this other country. Uh, You know, Look at the faith of Naaman versus the faith of the king of Israel. You know, he he he, he ought to have noticed that. You know, um, that and properly honored God accordingly. Um, so. Um, Mm-hmm. started automatically thinking how do I fix And we didn't automatically say how do God fix this. Yeah. If we had, we would have known we would to go to the park. Right. So um, um, in verses 9 through 10 uh, we have simplicity kind of contrasted with pomp and circumstance. Pomp and ceremony. The simplicity that Elijah uses kind of stands out in stark contrast to the to the pomp and the ceremony that that Naaman was expecting when he got there. And again, he's this powerful man, honorable man, uh, may, maybe even caught up in that a little bit, you know. And so he's expecting some special treatment, you know, when he when he gets there. Uh, He probably had a big group with him. Um, That was customary in that day and time. He wasn't just traveling alone. He had people with him, and probably a large group, given who he was. But Elijah wanted to glorify God, he didn't want to glorify himself. And so he acts in a very simple fashion. Elijah wasn't being disrespectful to Naaman by not coming out there, and you know, Naaman's expecting him to show up there at the gate. And here I am with my posse and group, and uh, you know, you, it's your job to come out here. You know, um, he wasn't being disrespectful to Naaman, but was just continuing what he did, his usual practice of of acting through an intermediary. That's what, that's what Elijah did. And so, um, I think that Elijah probably wanted to demonstrate his holiness of God, who he, who he served. Um, He was a representative of God and he wanted to remain separate from God. He wanted the glory to go to God. He wanted Naaman to know that it is God who's doing the healing, not me, not Elijah, not some pagan God. And so, again, the command given to Elijah was simple and clear and understandable. I think he could have told a child and that child would have known what to do. You know, and Naaman also clearly understood what he was supposed to do but he has this reaction his pride gets in the way his ego gets in the way and it, it's sheer simplicity angered Naaman and, and you know sidebar seven he was to dip seven times in the Jordan River that's a significant number And it signifies perfection. And so it was kind of universal in in thinking what seven meant. So so Elijah wasn't trying to convey that, that there was some innate healing power in the waters of the Jordan. He just wanted Naaman to know that the cleansing power is not in the water. Cleansing power comes from God. It's in God. And God, through the the prophet, revealed to to Naaman that he just simply required this little simple obedience to his command for this person to be blessed. His healing, this promise of healing that he would get was to be accepted through his faith by expressing it in his obedience to what... uh, Elijah told him to do. The faith here is defined as just the absolute trust in the power and in the wisdom of God. I'm, you know, I, we look at this, this lesson, you know, and, and it involves water. And um, a, as we just explained and read and talked about, it's simple, simple thing. You know, why, why would you even in your mind, if, you, if you've got this terrible disease, question anything and not immediately go do that? Simple thing, go dip in the water. You all kind of know where I'm about to go, don't you? Go dip in the water. Why? The, the Scripture tells you to do that. So why do our denominational friends... Diminish that and say, oh, that's not necessary. That's just a, what did they say, an outward act of an inward faith or something along that line. It was pretty important to name him what he's supposed to do. It was pretty specific. It was simple. When we're told to be baptized, is that not just equally as simple and specific? And why would you question it? Why would you be a Naaman and question it? Why wouldn't you just go do it? Because Layman went and did it and he got healed. You get baptized and your sins are washed away. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? Tim, this story to me illustrates how we always want God to comply to what we want to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Faith and obedience. Yeah, Naaman's a perfect example in his suit. You know, I, I take it back to the lesson we had Wednesday night about the serpent, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, faith and obedience. They heard about it they had to look at it. Now, you know, there might have been a rebellious Israelite that said, hey, God, I serve. I don't have to look at that serpent. He'd say, New Year, my tent. So, he had that attitude and didn't go look. I heard the same thing, whatever way they want it to say. Yeah, it's it's convenience. we want it to be convenient the way we want it, the way we like it, and and that's that's where a lot of the division comes from. It's a lot of trouble to get into a baptistry and get wet, you know. Is it? Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do it and, my right, way. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's a simple thing. Simple act. It's also about the exact instructions. Mm-hmm. When we have salvation, a plan of salvation, it's not uh, amenable to our desires of how we're to do that. We're not going to pray a little prayer and get baptized later. You know, God said, this is Mm-hmm. and this is what you must do to be safe mm-hmm. and Naaman had to follow the exact instructions to be cleansed exactly he had to follow the exact instructions to be cleansed some yeah and that back to what you know we're talking about the character of Naaman and what was his reaction he yeah, got mad yeah Mm-hmm. and then he said now and those rivers think about those you know mm-hmm. yeah, something better than that yeah. uh, so you know it just kind of and then at the end you know he didn't calm down either he said finally he went away in a rage uh, he was wroth and he went away in a rage mm-hmm. so, yeah he, he 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 felt like his own dignity demanded better which is selfish it's self-centered and and I I guess I was going to try to relate this. It's kind of hard to pull an example off the top of my head, but just in my years of having talked to folks out in the denominational world, they'll get mad. They will get mad and bitter over whether or not they need to be baptized to be saved, you know. So there's so many parallels here out of this story. We're going to run out of time before we get to talk about everything. But... um, Um, when we say something like, I said to myself, or I thought, does that not in- indicate uh, a really a human weakness of exalting ourselves, um, exalting our own thought processes to place them equal or even superior to God when we do that? Um. Here was these simple instructions, and they basically had the effect of deflating Naaman's ego. And think about um, things like uh, Solitarsus, for instance, you know. He he thought he was doing many things that were good for God, but yet they were contrary to God. Um, but we, we see the consequence, don't we? Naaman, what, what ultimately happens with Naaman, he comes to his senses and he goes and he does what he was told to do and he's healed. And it, it was life-changing to him, not just physically, but in his heart it was life-changing. What happened to Paul? You know, he was, he was a vicious person, you know, to the saints of that time. And then afterward, he was a very humbled man. And often, you know, talked about he was the chiefest of sinners and so forth. Um, so Naaman makes a concession in verse 12 of, about washing in the waters of the Jordan. He goes on and he, uh, he submits. Um, I know we're out of time. Again, I had quite a few things else I wanted to, to kind of point out. Um, if you go to 2 Kings uh, chapter 5, you'll, you'll read the sequel. Naaman acknowledged God, you know, as the only one God, uh, promised to worship no other. Uh, and he, he asked for that dirt, you know, to take home. And that was very significant in of itself, for dirt from the holy land. And he used it to erect an altar. So uh, anyway, great, great discussion this morning. Uh, it's a great lesson that we should, you know, go back to and think about and contemplate. Uh, we're out of time. I'll stop there. Uh, I think Mark has next week, Mark has uh, chapter 20, or lesson 22. So thank you for your attention this morning.